0: cannabis addiction we'll talk about it on this episode of the mind dog tv podcast the opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guests and should not be interpreted as statement of fact independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged this episode is brought to you by funwise capital funwise capital is a business lender matching platform avoid the mystery of one-sided deals connect with Fundwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast you can apply online in 60 seconds or less and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get it's easy use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business if you did hear me correctly i did say start or grow your business you don't have a business yet, you got a solid business plan that can help you get funding, get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash mind dog.
1: Is everybody ready for the mind dog the man, give us show?
0: And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. We're going to be talking about cannabis addiction tonight and recovery. And uh it's kind of a... a I know probably a, a few are saying, what? Uh, because just yesterday two days ago i published a video about me smoking a joint with uh tommy chung on this program uh just last week so you're probably saying well that's an interesting subject for you to be tackling my guest tonight uh has written a book about it and so um uh, my my feeling is this on this uh, subject in, in particular i think Medical marijuana and cannabis can have a beneficial effect. I use it in in as a substitute for the pharmaceutical drugs that uh, were given to me uh, in recovery from a stroke that made me into a zombie. But I also understand that just about anything in life can be turned into a debilitating or a, a very destructive force in your life. Uh, so I'm interested in this whole idea of cannabis addiction to begin with, because I never really thought of uh, cannabis as an a- addictive uh, drug, uh, I, at least not physically addictive. But we'll find out all about that in just one moment. Leonard Buschel wrote, Hi, Confessions of a Cannabis Addict. He is a California Certified Substance Abuse Counselor with years of experience working with people struggling with addiction. Mr. has is the founder of Writers in Treatment, whose primary purpose is to promote treatment as the best first step solution for addiction, alcoholism, and other self-destructive behaviors. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears and open your minds and help me welcome in Leonard Buchel to the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Leonard, welcome. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm okay. I'm not high. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm running, uh, uh, before we get started, I just want to show a book I uh, uh, have the cover here And I'm running uh, the Amazon link to where you can get it on the bottom uh, The link is Thank in you. the description The uh, book is called High Confessions of a Cannabis Addict uh, And it's a bit of a memoir, right?
2: It, it is a memoir um, And uh, I'm glad you're running the Amazon link as often as possible Because you do get $4 per sold copy I you knew that up front. So I wish I could get Tommy Chong to uh, pose with a picture of the book. That would be <laughs> terrific. Uh, I might be able to help you with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and the book is not so much about marijuana addiction as a, as my addiction to marijuana from uh, the age of 17 uh, 17 years old when I was in the back seat of some friend of a f- friend's car and they were smoking a joint in the front they didn't ask me if I wanted any either because they didn't want to share it or probably because I was too young I was 17 but I definitely got a contact high I definitely went back home walked into my home where I was living with my mother and my brother sometimes and I felt oh I felt awake actually I felt in tune uh, the next weekend, we went to New York. I lived in Philadelphia. We went to New York for the holidays. I went to visit my, my genius cousin, Bob, in Greenwich Village. Uh, my mother went out to do some shopping, and he said, you want to try this? And he showed me how to roll my first joint, and he was an expert. He was an expert. Uh, and took a couple of hits, and suddenly my life went from black and white to color, You know, I grew up without a father who died when I was three weeks old. And so my whole childhood was in the same house in the same neighborhood in Philadelphia. Uh, But it was definitely black and white, like a black and white movie, actually. Uh, But that joint made me see things in color. And the next night, my mother, we were staying at a hotel near Times Square. And she said, hey, you want to go see the Rockettes? You know? You know what they're out everywhere, yeah. I I said, Nah, I'd rather go back to Bob's flat in the village. Just we had a good conversation. So even at that age, I realized I'd rather get high than go see 40 women scantily clad lifting up their legs. <laughs> and, I, and, and I saw my priorities fall into place right away. And it turned out in the last year of high school, Basically, I mostly went to sell football pools and to sell, <coughs> to sell pot. And you wow. can tell how long ago it was. There was only one other marijuana dealer in my high school, Ruby Ray. And I thought, dealing, selling marijuana in high school and my only competition is Ruby Ray, we should start a monopoly. <laughs> and how else do you get to hook up with a Ruby Ray <laughs> without drugs involved? and and that was so and so i did graduate high school i dropped out of college because i couldn't there was no hashish in philadelphia you know we were big into hashish at that time you know pakistani hash afghani hash weak keef from mexico uh and red Lebanese hash. And we couldn't get any. And nobody in New York or Philly had any. <coughs> and we couldn't live without it. I couldn't live without it. Wow. I convinced a friend to drop out of Philadelphia uh, Community College because we figured Lebanon is right next to Israel. And we could go to Israel with no questions asked. You know, you know, our family <laughs> thought we were going to discover our roots. You know, our friends thought we were going to make money. We really were just going to cop. We we just were going, we left, we had to leave the neighborhood to score, basically, is what it was. And we realized if Lebanon was on you know northern Israeli border, somebody must be smuggling some into Israel. And sure enough, they were. And we we took the a nonstop flight from Kennedy to Ben-Gurion. It was 13 hours. It was the longest flight in the world at that time, nonstop New York. And we we got our we got our stash. We got our stash. Uh, stayed there for three weeks. Magnificent, magnificent. What a magnificent place it was to visit. It was shortly after the Six Day War. There was no there was nothing fermenting. It was very peaceful. It was very safe. No matter where we wandered, we felt safe. We had a rental car. We had a hookah in between the two front seats because, we, you know, they sell them at the, at the bazaars. We bought a hookah. Uh, and the point was we were going to make sure we could not have to go a day without getting high. Wow. And we were there for three weeks and uh, the night before we left Israel, we went to, we were in Tel Aviv, and we went to a, a lingerie store because we needed to buy girdles to stick the bricks of hashish in. <laughs> and I thought, the sales girls are being really nice. They, I, and we said, it's for my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, and she's just about my size, too. <laughs> not the girls, not the in. The girl go home the next day. Oh. Uh, You know we're coming in. We're going over Long Island, and I bend over to look out the window, and I smell hash coming from my friend's pants. And we had some talcum powder with us, and I said, "You better go." You know, I said, "You better go to a bathroom, put some talcum powder in your pants, but don't let it fall out of your pant leg because it's going to leave a trail all the way to Rikers Island. (laughs) We're not careful." (laughs) So he managed to get it in. The dogs must have been at lunch when we went through Kennedy, you know, the, 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 the German shepherds took the day off uh, and we made it and got back to Philly. Felt really good. We had our, our hashish and um, you know, 600 grams total. And I was in Kensington and Allegheny, a lovely little neighborhood in Philadelphia called K and Kensington Allegheny. I was selling my last quarter ounce, And I was in a friend's basement, and there were two buyers there. And it was time to get the money. And instead of going into their pockets for the cash, they each brought out a pistol. One was a revolver, one was a .45. One's at my heart, one's at my head. And I'm looking at the gun, I'm thinking, there are bullets in the chamber. I better just do what they want. Make them feel happy with their career choice. Guys, hey, no problem. You want the hash here? I got $200, which they, I didn't tell them I had $200, but they found out when they went through my pockets. Took the hash, walked me to my car, got in the car, was driving away, and like completely broke down sobbing. I'd never been, I don't think, that close to a death-defying moment where I could have lost my life if I said or did the wrong thing. And it was at that moment I made that decision that, that, that we all have to make. I said, I'm never selling drugs in that neighborhood again. It's a very dangerous neighborhood. In that neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hey. luckily, luckily still had my stash at home. But that was just, uh, and that's before I was uh, 20. I was at 20. I, I went over there when I was 20. And that went on for another twenty some years. Wow! Not if I had to drive from Philly to New York, I couldn't even consider doing it without three joints rolled for the ninety-mile drive. Couldn't I, even I, I think that.
0: a lot, a lot of people who, who get high can relate to that statement absolutely, but the rest of that story, I don't think anybody I know can can relate to that because, if you don't mind me saying, it's kind of it's it sounds insane. First of all the idea that um you needed to hash that bad to go to uh, cuz i've never i mean i i when i was young i i felt the you know, what would what they call strung out you don't have any uh and and you could get a little tense and anxious and all that stuff but i never once thought you know what Go, go to Israel and smuggle it back. Uh, that sounds crazy in itself, especially when I look at uh, movies like Midnight Run. I think that was the name of it, where uh, somebody. Uh, Midnight Express. I could Midnight Express, right. Yeah. I
2: had quit drugs for like 10 years. That was a fright- that was like a horror movie.
0: Yeah, uh, did that ever enter your mind that you were uh, you could be because that's uh, smuggling drugs, especially if from the far Middle East to to America, uh, well,
2: scare the hell out of they them. They don't take kindly to Hashish in Israel. You know, God forbid, you know, one of their soldiers starts getting high and misses shooting a Palestinian civilian; they're going to get pissed, right? So, yeah, if we had gotten caught in Israel, it would have been a dark experience. Yeah, would have been, And of course, coming back through Kennedy would have also been a, a few years, I would think, for smuggling, even though it was only, like, a, like I said, a 600 grams. It, they still would have not looked kindly upon the gesture. Right. And when when we think about people holding people
0: up or armed robbery for drugs, it generally is like lots, thousands of dollars, if not more, tens of thousands of dollars of powdery substance, whether it's cocaine, heroin, something like that. Uh, so I, I guess it's a time, time uh, different, you know, era difference, because I don't I don't can't imagine somebody doing that in this day and age getting armed robbery for marijuana or ash or anything like that. Um, unusual at the time.
2: It might depend where you are on the econo- ec- economical socio strata. Uh, you know, if you can only rob a guy at two hundred dollars, you're not going to say, "Oh, let's wait till we can rob somebody for a dollars
0: Right.
2: You're a robber. Right. So, and you need the money for whatever. I get it.
0: Yeah, and people can get desperate, but wow, what a what a story! So, um, first of all, hash—I don't think hash is even around anymore. I, I never hear about people smoking hash. But one thing that gives us both away about our age is the use of the word "pot." Huh. Because, yeah, because kids today call it weed. Uh, I mean, I, I very only people our age or my <laughs> age and older will use the word "pot"
2: ever. I anymore. call it chronic. <laughs> I call it ganja. Okay, I call it the, the kind. Right. I I, I call it uh, God's gift to mankind. Wow. And I think the fact that the whole legalization movement has almost taken over the country is one of the few advances advances our civilization has made in the last twenty years. Wow. So, you sound like you're, you're, um,
0: I don't want to say pro, but I mean, because you you talk about uh, treatment being a first step. Now, you being pro-legalization, how does that fit into, because I would think uh, legalizing would lead to more people becoming addicted to it, no?
2: Yeah, but they're not putting young people or black people in jail every day for simple possession of marijuana or sale because you don't need to sell it because you can buy it on every other corner in Los Angeles legally so it was definitely the war on drugs was a war on poor people it was a war on drug addicts it was a war on immigrants it wasn't really a war on drugs you know drugs you know no drug ever jumped into a needle and jumped into my arm you have to but that being said uh, the legalization doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. It doesn't mean it's bad for you, and anything in moderation is fine. Uh, I'm, I, part of the reason I wrote the book is for people who've been smoking for 30 years, who think they're smoking to get high, but they're actually smoking because they can't not smoke. I had a great conversation with a, a disc jockey from Philadelphia two weeks ago, he said, I'm uncomfortable with the title of your book. I said, why? He said, I've been smoked, I've smoked marijuana every day for 52 years, and I'm not addicted. <laughs> and I know, he said, I can quit whenever I want. But I don't want to. You know, the thing about marijuana, it makes it neutralizes your life. You you have a good day at work, you come home, you smoke a joint. If you have a bad day at work, what do you do? Come home and smoke a joint. Yeah, it's a great neutralizer. You know, it it moderates. Maybe it's the middle way. Maybe it makes everything a little bit – it it takes the edge off, but isn't it the edge that makes life exciting? You know, it's like tell a mountain climber, go climbing, but don't climb on the edge. Now, you know, romance, you know, fall in love, but not too deeply. Uh, You know, it's like people – potheads will smoke pot for a christening or a funeral you know they'll smoke pot for a wedding or a divorce
0: i probably think I, more, that's very more
2: true <laughs> no,
0: I, I I hear your point on that, and I agree with you. But to your point about, and I've said that about, uh, I, I've heard that line so many times, too. No matter what the substance is, uh, it's not addictive, and it's not just about marijuana. It could be about alcohol. It could be about cocaine, because I've done it this long, and I, I could quit anytime I want to. But I have to say, I did quit smoking pot twice in my life. I just said pot again, weed, whatever. Uh, but twice in my life, one for 10 years and once for th- about eight years, right before I had a stroke about five years ago. And then after the stroke, they put me on. You look on- like you're doing great. What? You look like you're
2: doing great. I am, but I, I wasn't I'm not right at saying I'm if I don't take these blood thinning pills, I'm going to have a stroke. <laughs> but anyway. they they
0: put me on medication that turned me into a zombie, and yeah. uh, and I, I I said I can't do it. I can't go through life like this because I could not function. So the uh, alternative I came up with was pre- prescribing myself ma- medical marijuana, and now I I got a medical marijuana card for that. It does seem to keep my high blood pressure in check, uh, mm. and I'm less zombified than on the pharmaceuticals. So fantastic. But uh, but the point I was making I was able to quit for ten years and eight years without really having any withdrawals or any of that stuff. So, well, I can see the guy's point about not being addictive. But as I said in the opening, I think anything that you, can you be destructive in your life, you could get you can get a, a, an unhe- unhealthy obsession with just about anything, and it can be dangerous and destructive to your life. And if that's pot or if it's alcohol or if it's anything. Uh, you need to get help in getting off of it.
2: Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Why did you quit the first or second time?
0: Uh, the first time, I was a mastering engineer for a uh, Christian um, uh, record label. And, a, and I was doing some video at the time uh, as well, mastering video. And the the guy on there was out uh, there video i was watching was about satanic backward masking and stuff and he said uh and it brought up this whole thing about how ma- the devil wants you to smoke marijuana and it scared the hell out of me to be honest with you at the at the time i was kind of uh um in, into Christianity and anyway, exploring it. And the thing scared the hell out of me. And I just, I had a joint in the car for my ride home, as you said, because whether it was a good day or bad day, the joint on the ride home was going to be, uh, make everything mm-hmm. all right. And I threw it out the window and I said, I'm done with this. And for like 10 years, uh, about just about ten years, didn't smoke again uh, at all until uh, one night in the studio. Somebody left. Somebody was there smoking in my studio and left a big uh, roach of some unbelievably good smelling stuff. And I said, oh, one one hit won't won't matter." And I took one hit and I said, "I kind of like this again." <laughs> Everything got back in
2: color again. As your first, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe I envy people that can go to a concert and smoke a joint or two. And the next day, not. right. But I'm the kind of person that... And the reason I don't drink alcohol is because I came to the realization that alcohol is a liquid drug. You know, I used to like to get intoxicated. I used to like to get drunk. I never got drunk accidentally. I never went into a bar for three shots of vodka and ended up having 10. I'd go in for 10. And I'd have money to take a taxi. And I sort of was... And I thought, well... I don't have a problem with alcohol, but to me, alcohol is a liquid drug, and if I had two drinks tonight and it made me feel better, I would want to feel better tomorrow at lunch, and I would want to feel better tomorrow night, and I might want to feel a little better, but I would always want that buzz, and you can sort of do that with pot until it starts working against you, until you're just until it's your body just needing its THC levels. So you're not really getting high. You're just not getting sick. And right. I'm glad you didn't have any withdrawals because usually the first few nights sleeping is difficult. Sleeping when you're used to smoking, but the first few nights going to sleep is difficult. Uh, sounds like you almost had a spiritual experience while you were relieved of the obsession I was, sca- I was scared. It uh, had to be a religious experience because it was the devil made you not do it. Holy yeah, right. <laughs> really <lonely>. Most people <laughs> stop drugs and drinking because they want to find God. Because they were <laughs> drinking and smoking. God, <laughs> And then they have to quit and now they have nothing. You know, I worked as a drug counselor for a number of years and I had to convince my clients, I have something so good, you're going to love it so much. It's nothing. you have a film on nothing like this is better than anything and you never come down
1: right
2: you never come down and 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 the clarity and there's no filters between you and the trees and the birds and the dogs and people between you and the music i know a little pod helps music sound better but does it really yes but it, it it but you know, after a while, you everything gets a little sharper, right? So the question I have though is: is it the person or the substance?
0: Because it sounds to me more like certain people can become addicted to anything. And I've had this convers that conversation with uh, I had. In the space of three days, I had a porn star who was on the program who told me there's no such thing as porn addiction. Then I had an author of a book on about how to beat porn addiction and got into the whole argument about whether behaviors are addictive. and Substances certainly can be physically addictive, but I think there's a certain personality that can allow... And, and I just want to get your take on it. Can is it a personality thing that can be more conducive to being addicted to anything, whether it's a substance or a behavior or gambling, pornography, any of that kind of stuff?
2: I can answer that very specifically. Nobody knows. It's very <laughs> complicated. Are there addictive personalities? You can read papers that prove that there's not, and you can read other papers that prove there absolutely is. And, and some addictions are circumstantial. You're going through a bad time and something makes you feel better for a little while and you're drinking every you know you're having a drink every night and then the situation improves and then you're not drinking every night. Other people and this pandemic, and I'm sure if you read the newspapers or any news about what's going on in the last two years, like twenty three percent more women are identifying as full-blown alcoholics in the last two years. People aren't having to – people can drink at home at lunch because if they're working from home, they don't have to worry about driving and they don't have to worry about anybody smelling it on their breath. So an extra cocktail at lunch, some people can do it and they're fine. Other people are having a cocktail at lunch and a cocktail you know, at the 2 o'clock break and then the 3 o'clock break because they don't have to drive anywhere and they're not coming in contact. Some people will be able to pull back from that and go back to their – normal using patterns or habits and other people won't why is that is it genetic perhaps uh i'm not sure i don't think anybody in my family was a marijuana addict there were some gamblers which was my first addiction i was you know addicted to, to gambling before i ever smoked my first joint can I call it a joint or is it a reefer? Yeah, no, I think it's a joint. No, I <laughs> haven't heard.
0: I haven't heard a reefer in many, many years. I, I some uh, Tommy called it a joint. Uh, but
2: <laughs> yeah, or, or I, I thought it's a Philly's blunt, and I am from Philly, so let me be blunt. Well, I had a, a, a whole question and
0: answer about what's the difference between a blunt, a spliff, and a joint last week, but I'll let you continue.
2: <laughs> I don't think anybody that gives up smoking marijuana is going to regret it. I don't yeah, think I two I years ago say, God, I
0: wish I was still smoking that I, I know one person who says that to me quite often, but he was also addicted to other things. He was addicted to cocaine and or crack cocaine at one point in his life. Uh, but uh every once in a while he says to me, I wish I could just smoke one joint and uh, well uh, not saying that he wishes he was still a pot smoker, but he wishes he could smoke one joint and, uh, I wish I could just do that once and just and not uh not have it be a problem
2: i i hope he i wish but he but he's i hope he
0: tries he he's acknowledging no he's not gonna try because he's acknowledging that one means he's gonna be doing it
2: forever <laughs> and some yeah too, yeah, too much of a good thing yeah uh, uh, so,
0: so if we can, and I don't want to. I mean, I don't want you to give away the whole book because I think the book, uh, the story of the
2: book. Yeah. <laughs> but and I don't go to jail, <laughs> and I only got hospitalized because I needed a valve replaced and a tumor removed. But otherwise, I'm fine. Wow. The only two times I've had drugs in the last 27 years uh, was Percocet after the heart operation. And 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 delauded after the brain surgery. Wow, brain surgery. But I knew, oh my goodness. You know, it, it's it's like, as they say, it's a slippery situation taking hardcore narcotics after a surgery. But I knew it was it was not sustainable. You know, it's like being in 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 uh, in, in uh, what's a beautiful island in the South Pacific? of uh, uh, Tahiti, what. Tahiti, Fiji to Tahiti <laughs> for five days. You can't live there. You know, right. I don't, you know my family's not there. I'm not working. I, but it's nice to enjoy while it happens. But if you go one day too long, your whole brain circuitry can be rewilded rewired and you start thinking it's okay. You know. Right. You know, years ago I had my apartment painted. I said, I would like this, I want it to be perkadan yellow, the walls. Right. For you know you know, Valium Blue. You know, 10 milligram Valium Blue. Right. Uh we tell you when you quit using drugs, it doesn't mean you have to stop talking about them. But this is not euphoric recall. This is so incredibly happy to have that in my past. Because when I was doing it, you know, one day I was driving over the Golden Gate Bridge and I had a violet coke in my pocket for 18 years. No, 13 years. I had a violet coke in my pocket. I'm driving over the Golden Gate Bridge. Sunroof is open, brand new Volvo, and I think I gotta throw that into the Bay. I gotta throw that Violet Coke into the San Francisco Bay. And I and I couldn't because I knew if I did it would be admitting I had a problem with cocaine. Wow. So I just put it back in my pocket and went about about my business. Uh, and eventually and at that moment, I thought, shit, I've been doing cocaine every day for 13 years. And if it was only in the 13th year that I was doing it even when I didn't want to do it. You know, For 12 years, every time I put a, lot, a spoon or a, a straw in my nose, I did it because I wanted to. But that's my definition of addiction, doing it even when you tell yourself you don't want to. So if you think you're not addicted to marijuana, tell yourself you're not going to get high tomorrow and see, and see how it feels. I do
0: that now and um I I go days without without smoking and but my wife kind of on, on the sees the change in my behavior that I become very tense and like you're not taking your medicine. So it is you know it is a, a medicine for me at this point. It's not I don't do it to get high. I really don't. Um I mean and I I really do actually get high to be honest with you. When I I don't know if it's um if it's the quality of the stuff, or it's just my immune system, I'm just immune to it so much. I've built built up such a tolerance that uh, it doesn't affect me. But I rarely get high when I do. But I know that my blood pressure goes down. I'm Gummy? not. I mean, I, I'm Use not gummies? trying to be. Uh, what gummies? Uh, no, gummies uh, I, I. It's it's like ground up. It's not like buds or anything. It's really refined powder that you have. You smoke. I I would take gummies if if, if I I've used the gummies and not gotten any kind of relief from them. I don't know why that is, but I have um, got nothing, nothing out of them. And the other part of that is when I had a really bad experience with eating uh, marijuana when I was young. When, in college, I ate we baked it into a cake, you know, brownies, but we mm-hmm. it was pot because it was cheap Mexican pot because we went to school in New Mexico, baked <laughs> it into a cake and hated what it did to my body. I, I felt paralyzed. I felt sick and all that stuff. And uh, so that kind of scares me about edibles, but mm-hmm. I'm not. I haven't tried the edibles. Uh, oh, I tried yeah. one, and it didn't work for me. And I said, I just, mm-hmm. just figured it doesn't work. But I'm curious now because what what convinced you to get straight? Because a lot of people say they have to hit hit rock bottom. Did Did you have that a moment in life where you just felt like you hit rock bottom, or you
2: just decided I've had enough? I, I think I had a bottom. 27 years ago I woke up at home in Marin County San Anselmo and it was it was as if I was in a hole a cave and I could see the linings of the of my bedroom walls looked like stalactites and it looked like the walls were sweating like like in a cave and I had a horrendous hangover horrendous hangover it's like when I used to get a hangover, it wasn't, it wasn't like call the nurse. It was like call poison control. Because if you drink a certain amount of vodka you know, and snorting a certain amount of ecstasy, you can go to 6 o'clock in the morning and be awake and feel no pain until you wake up the next morning. I, I came to, as they say, about 10 o'clock, and I realized I had a an appointment for a massage at 11 o'clock. And somehow I, I weaved, I got in my car, I weaved my way there. Five minutes into the massage, I, I had to excuse myself. The masseuse's name was Penny. I said, Penny, give me a minute. I got to go outside. So I had to go outside and throw up. Okay. Came back in, getting the massage. Ten minutes later, I said, Penny, I, I got to go. Here's, here's the money. And I had to go outside and throw up again. And I thought, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> this is not why I moved to California. I can't even lay through a massage without having to throw up. And, it, and I stopped on the way home at a phone booth because I lived half my life in, in, in phone booths. It was back in the day. I, still, I had a cell phone at that time, but I had to stop at a phone booth. And the only person in the world on planet Earth I knew who had quit drinking and using drugs saw me, came over and said, Leonard, how you doing? I said, oh, okay, not bad, because I hadn't thrown up in 20 minutes. I think I'm already, <laughs> like, getting my, my mojo back. <laughs> he says, you don't look so good. In the meantime, sweat, this is in July in Marin in the summer. Sweat is flying off my forehead and hitting her glasses. <laughs> It was, and she said, you don't look that good. And then I said, I don't know why I said, I said, this, did that, she, she's the only person I ever knew who went to a rehab. Didn't even know what that meant. I said, did that rehab you go to have an 800 number? And she said, yeah. Because I wasn't going to spend money for a toll call. It had to have an 800 number, free, back then. <laughs> she said, yeah, she's said, I'll call you with it. Um Long story. I ended up in Big Sur, which was my sort of go-to getaway. I called the rehab and I filled out an application on the phone. You know, I didn't know they called it an assessment or admissions. I called them, and at the end they said, uh, "Yeah, well, you 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 qualify," you know. And I had never gotten a DUI. Uh, I had almost died from drug use, but I lived. And they said, "This is the, well, we, you you can come." And then they, and they said, "How do you want to pay?" I said, "I don't know. How do you pay?" They said, "Do you have any insurance?" So I had some insurance. They said, "Give us the. We'll run the numbers, and if we don't accept you, we'll find you a hospital that will." And I said, "Are you kidding me? I'm not sick. I'm not going to no hospital. I just need a little R and R." And the next day, they called me back on my cell phone. I was at the bar at Ventana in Big Sur, and they said your insurance covers this one hundred percent. And I just started crying. I just started sobbing because I knew the jig was up. I knew I had backed myself into a room where you like, you know, you paint yourself into the corner and there's no door. Right. I, there's no excuse that, not to now. Right. No, because I was raising my son at the time, but he was home with his mother for the summer. So I didn't have to take him to school and pick him up every day. So I knew I had. And they said, come on in uh, August 3rd. And I drove myself to the Betty Ford Center. It was hot as hell. Uh, when I, I said, I, "I you know, I went up to the counter. I said, is this where I check in? They said, check in. This isn't a hotel. It's a hospital. This is where you get admitted. And, here, <laughs> and here's your hospital band. I said they're not going to brainwash me, are they? And they brought out this, and they brought out, they brought out this book, and they said no, we're not going to. And they put this book in my hands. You know what this is? It's not Mein Kampf, and it's not the Bible. It's the, the book of alcohol. It's synonymous. And, yeah. it, and if you read it at night, it will put you to sleep. Anyway, let's do two copies. <laughs> it's, a, it's a comedy. It's one of the few recovery comedies you'll ever read there's a lot of sex in it a lot of music a lot of rock and roll uh, well i i, I got it because
0: uh, and it says here uh the, in your intro that i read it says uh, the the best first step solution for addiction and alcohol uh uh treatment as the best first step solution for addiction but you just mentioned something that i think is the big fear of anybody, whether they hit rock bottom or not, or just come to right. a decision that I need to make a change, they're not going to brainwash me. And so many people I know who go into 12 step programs come out with religion and, 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 or, oh my God, religion. Right. Well, that's a fear. Now, uh, uh, what do you say? Because you, I know you played that up and it's, it's it's funny the way you did it, but that's a very real fear that people have. So, what, uh, you don't you don't, address it like you just did and kind of make fun of it if somebody if i came to you and said i really feel like i need to get clean but i don't want to go into treatment because i don't want to be brainwashed and I come out like a born again christian or uh, uh i don't want to come out uh, a bible right. and all that stuff what what would you say you right. wouldn't say
2: you don't want to come out and now i'm going to name like tw- i could name 20 famous silver pe- you don't want to come out like eminem or <laughs> Alex baldwin or Anthony Hopkins or Robert Downey. You don't want to come out like those people.
0: I didn't know those people were actually straight uh, or so Memoirs.
2: I'm not giving up their anonymity. They've all written memoirs and books about it, and they're very open and and proud. I would say, see, you know, it's funny. I was saying to someone today, you know, like the brochure for AA. People don't read the fine print at the bottom, and you'll end, and you'll become a better person you know and if that's religion uh, you know i don't have a problem with
0: it no but uh, and uh, but most and i know people who've been in the program lots of people have been in program and most of them do come out with some sort of more more religion and more um and I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Believe me, I, I have people in my life who are deeply religious, people who have different faiths and all that stuff. And I, anything that supports you becoming a better person, I support. But I know that's the fear of people getting into it is I don't want to come out. I don't want to be a Bible thumper. I, I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to end up knocking on people's doors trying to persuade them. And a well,
2: lot of You see a, someone in AA at the airport trying to sell you a book.
0: I don't go to the airport, but I do. I I have <laughs> my brother. When my brother, well, his sponsor, used to come over to the house all the time, yeah. and and be one of those people who, uh, in the program, you first start with the higher power, and then that higher power becomes. And then, okay, we're going to have the meetings in the church basement. And then before you know it, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to dissuade people from treatment. I'm just trying to put out what the major fear is. I think, cause the first step, we talk about that. The first, the best first step is to get into treatment. But people are the major fear. I think the thing that stops most people from taking that first step is this fear of, I don't want to become. Uh, a, a
2: zealot. <laughs> yeah, when you go to a meeting on good on on on, on uh, a Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, everybody they're, they they got the spots. <laughs> course, you know, in the in the other room, there's the Hindus with with the with the green spot, which is a lot more attractive. Than <laughs> Trust me, and 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 the other room is like all the Jews saying, "What are we doing here?" The Lord's Prayer. Oh, that was written by Jesus, the Jew. So uh, we can learn it, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know. If, if if regaining your morals is offensive, don't join.
0: Yeah, I, I hear you, but uh, it is the. But again, I, I don't think we want to discourage people from getting help. I think we want to encourage. If somebody really feels
2: they need help, we want yeah, to encourage yeah. them to get help. And if you want to join AA? I, I can help you with that. Give my mailing address. It's a hundred dollars. Uh, I live in. Studios, uh, Studio City, California, and I'm also kidding, because it's free. Okay. <laughs> I, actually,
0: when you said a hundred dollars, I was like, wow, I didn't know that. People actually, cause to me, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. Because, and the reason it doesn't is because when you pay for something, you're going to be committed to it. Rather than if you walk in for free, you can always walk out, and that not... <laughs> hundred dollars might keep some people there a little longer.
2: <laughs> Yeah, but if you have a cookie, you feel compelled to pay for it, okay. and the coffee, you know, is really good. <laughs> what What about that? That
0: because a lot, of, a lot of people I know that go in, they come out, uh, and they're clean and and not uh, clean sober, whatever you want to call it. But they are, do do come out with a heavy coffee addiction. Caffeine is also a drug, and cigarette addiction a lot of times. Now, am I am I <laughs> am I wrong in my impression on that? <laughs> um I'm a coffee if, addict by the way, so
2: <laughs> I just want to tell everybody this is decaf, because I don't drink caffeinated coffee after five o'clock. ah it's decaf, <laughs> but I just need the shape of the espresso cup to make me feel comfortable with my higher power. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cigarettes I never smoked. I smoked enough joints in my life to have uh, some issues, but I never smoked. Cigarettes. It is what it is. You know, someone once ask Bill Wilson, who co-founded Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you know, I, I can't stop drinking. I want to get sober, but I'm a horse thief. What happens if I join AA? Bill says, You'll be a sober horse thief. <laughs> okay, if that's your only way of making a living, you gotta do what you gotta do. Wow. Uh but you know that that's just one one cliche. Oh, it's not for everyone. It is going to save the planet. Imagine if people respected each other and treated each other with, with kindness and understanding and not being judgmental. You know, a guy can crawl into an AA meeting and no one says, get out, you know, come back when you can walk. They help him into a chair. Wouldn't it be nice if that was happening as we're on the verge of a hot war, perhaps? Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. I'm all for that. I want to bring that up, but I can't help but but be a, a little concerned about diplomacy.
0: Oh, I, I'm with you there. I think a lot of the times we get hung up on, and the, the the news cycle is hung up on the stupidest stuff in the world when uh, I bring this up every morning on my morning show. There's a possibility of World War III breaking out in Russia and Ukraine and all that stuff. And uh, up in Canada, we have uh, truckers were waving Nazi flags and wanting to burn down the government. And we're talking about Spotify and
2: podcasters. And, and, and tomorrow, the most of the editorials are going to be, how come Lady Gaga wasn't nominated for an Oscar for that dreadful movie? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People are up at home, um, um, I feel the same way about the girl in the movie Licorice Pizza, the star, you know, Elena Ham. I feel she should have been nominated. Uh, she's the most greatest new natural actress ever, and it's a film, you know, Licorice Pizza. The two leads have never been in movies before, and they and they kill it. All right. You know, it it's it'll make you want to fall in love again.
0: So, uh, speaking of lead, uh, first timers. Um, is this your first book?
2: I co-wrote a book uh, called "Algae to the Rescue: Everything You Need to Know About Nutritional Blue Green Algae." It's over here on the bookshelf, but I won't get it out. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, a, that's I, I, a different I mean, subject. Uh, <laughs> you know, a nutritionalist, a natural foodist, for a long time, and, and we got very involved in blue-green algae, aka spirulina. Uh, you know, chlorella, uh, blue-green algae from. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I think I'm thinking it's you got to be from California. California. You got to be. California. I'm looking at you like why, you I got to be from
0: California to know what this stuff is, because I. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Come on, you've oh, you've had some spirulina. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> it's a green, one celled uh, substance, and it's very. It gives you energy, helps oh, okay. you thinking. Very high in amino acids and protein. I will look oh. into it. I, yeah. Honestly,
0: the first time I've ever heard of it.
2: Okay, now I have to get the book. I, I- It's available on eBay. It's a collector's item. Algae to the rescue. And it's just about the different health benefits of ingesting this. You can call it a supplement. And the reason it's better than any other supplement, because it's a food. It's not part of the vitamin C. It's not made in a factory. It's all natural from a lake. uh, Well, I learned something I wasn't
0: expecting to learn tonight. Thank you for that. I'm serious. I mean, I didn't know anything about this stuff before you... Two minutes ago,
2: <laughs> it's, especially especially when you're um, recovering from any kind of illness. It creates a, a something in the body called homeostasis, where just everything is working in a little bit more balanced right. way. So now we have a two for. <laughs> well, the
0: reason I asked if it was your first book, because the praise on Amazon in the reviews is off the charts. It must be very ingratiating. Because I was thinking as a first book, that's, that's incredible praise for a first book. I, you know,
2: I gave it to my uh, friend uh, Joanna Cassidy, the actress most known from uh, Blade Runner. And then she was on Six Feet Under, a lot of television and not, in not you know, I gave it to her, and she read it in a weekend. She said, it's a real page-turner. And, and I thought, okay, that's all I want to hear. You know, and it was interesting. It's a page-turner, and it makes you laugh every six or eight pages. Uh, <laughs> because you have to. You, you have to. If you're not playing music, you got to be making people laugh. I'm doing both. I see the both guitar. Both. I see. The, I see you do both. I like the guitar. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to read your wanted poster in the background.
0: Oh, that's Hank Porter. Hank Porter and the Lonesome Cowboys, a country western thing I did 20 some odd years ago, based on. Uh, It was a character I made up based on the life of uh, Hank Williams Jr. and Johnny Cash, a combination of both of them, and and played this character, Hank Porter in The Lonesome Cowboy. Don't
2: let your children grow up to be drug dealers. I mean, outlaws. (laughs) Make them grow up to be outlaws, because otherwise you're part of the system, which we know is terribly broken.
0: You know what? I want to ask you about this, because... I play in rehab centers all the time. I play in uh, VA homes and things like that. And uh, when I go there, they often tell me they want to see my song list and want to make sure I don't have any songs that re- reference drinking, uh, drugs, or sex, alcohol, any of that, uh, any of that kind of stuff. Do you feel like? Uh, and it's a serious question, but it's a not not so serious question. Just your take on it. Is that absurd? If you hear a song about marijuana or you hear a song about drug use, is that going to
2: push you back into the life? I live on the third floor. I got a guy on the first floor directly below me who smokes amazing pot once a day. All it makes me want to do is put on Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> it doesn't make me want to go. Literally, I have two billboards out my window advertising a marijuana store. Wow! Uh, called Ice cream, and w- which I used to love. Uh, no, what are you singing? Nursery rhymes. Uh, it's really hard to pick a song. Any
0: songs that don't mm-hmm. have any of those references, it's a it's a w- w- real labor
2: to pick a song. Come up with a set list that I can mm-hmm. play. Can you find like a couple groups that you know don't sing about that stuff? Not,
0: not really. I mean, most of the time, what I find I'm doing is I get halfway through the song and think, "Uh-oh, there's a line coming up. I'm going to have to change a word here or there." And I will do that. And but they sit there and monitor me. They have monitor, uh, you know, residents come in and listen. I started playing Margaritaville one time, and they, they stopped me and like right at the intro. Like, no, you can't play that
2: song. <laughs> Uh, it's There's really restrictive. The, the, the name of the song is is verboten. Is yeah. <laughs> right. Without the, the- villa, vil, it's just a good old margarita. Right, <laughs> that is But tough. if
0: you look over the popular music from from the seventies, even sixties, seventies through today, it's really hard to find a single song that doesn't especially if you if you include sex in it, because uh, you got drug drug use, alcohol use, any kind of uh, marijuana use, uh sex, all that kind of stuff is forbidden. It's like what,
2: what what's the whole left? score from sound of music
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I, I'm wondering now. I'm gonna go through that in my head and find. I guarantee there's a word in there or something that's, that's even if you say
2: the word high,
0: that's uh-huh. a trigger. And, and it's, it's so I'm absurd.
2: Sure. Hong Kong, my favorite thing, you know, she's referring to alcohol, <laughs> <You know>, expensive <the laughs> yeah. wine that the captain had. There you go. You know.
0: Yeah. it' you really have to struggle to find, and, and but the point I guess is that it's absurd because nobody in that room is going to run out if they're if they're there on and they're and they're working the program and it's working for them. If I sing a song about anything of, of that nature, I could sing Purple Haze. It's not going to make somebody go on and run out and do acid, right? <laughs> it's just so, it's so insane that they would even think that that would be a a trigger for people. But this is so it 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 speaks to the treatment program, especially for vets, uh, on the way they they address this kind of thing, doesn't it? That, that they're concentrating on on silly stuff like that rather than, uh, what? Why are you getting high in the first place? And what 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 what's it doing for you that you feel like you need it? it I think would be far more productive in,
2: in you know, Most people call it self medicating. You know, most drug and alcohol use at the early age is self-medicating. I've heard a lot of people say, I couldn't have gotten to high school without drinking because my, my home life was so, you know, upsetting that a couple of drinks on the weekend made it bearable to even go home. And a lot of people who are now living on the streets, and you think, how can they be homeless? Because maybe home to them does not have a good vibe or good memories. Maybe home was a scary dangerous place, and so they feel safer on the street uh, and obviously a lot of people are there because they drank too much and they did too many drugs but who are who who are we to say one lifestyle is better than another uh, right. you know I don't know, but the whole you know we didn't even go on to heroin or oxycontin or the opiate epidemic Aha. How many people last year? 100,000 Americans died from putting too many pills or needles with drugs in their arms. 100,000 last year. It had been 90,000. It had been 80,000. You know, part of it is the pandemic that has the people whacked, very upset, without the connections, going out and hanging out with friends saved a lot of people's lives, whether they were drinking or not. And then you couldn't you know, for a solid six months. And even still today, you can't go out and see people smile, not in L.A., because we still have the mask mandate. So you can go to the supermarket. You can go to a restaurant. Restaurant's different because you have to eat. But you don't see people smile. So it could be just people are smile deficient and letting other people see their smile.
0: Yeah. Man, I don't even think of that stuff. But yeah, and uh, to your point, though, I think um, I lost a son five years ago, do, uh, heroin addiction. Uh, five, so almost five sorry. years to the date, thank you. I can't uh, even explain. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. But the point, yeah, at that point, I thought, wow, we, because so many of his friends, around 30-year-old uh, kids, were we were losing by bushels. I mean, every day, I, five or six, kids overdosing Uh, and I thought it was getting better and I guess I I guess I'm wrong in that because I just uh, ran out of kids to die (laughs) that's a a terrible uh, statement to say but I'm really sorry
2: uh, Well, thank you I I appreciate that but you know for the last nine years I published something I'm very proud of every Tuesday including today uh, it's called the addiction recovery e-bulletin it's 30 Articles, stories, essays, opinion pieces that happened in the last week. So it's different every week. It's the Addiction Recovery E-Bulletin. And, you know, it's almost like we we joke and it's not a joke. And I'm sure to you it's a horror, like the overdose story of the week. Every town. It is just... You know, and I ask people why, why will people risk their lives for a buzz or for a rush? I only smoked heroin, so I never had it be part of me. You know we all know what Lenny Bruce said it felt like being kissed by God right Wow, oh, you know that's better than yeah a milkshake uh and 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 there's a great movie called Behind the Orange Curtain about Orange County, California. Yeah, I know. About the opiate, opium, you know. And it it wasn't the hippie kids who were dying, and it wasn't the nerds at the computers. It was the athletes. It was the athletes because inevitably in high school sports, you're going to get hurt, sprain an ankle, break it. And they're going to overprescribe. They were doing it. They're not doing it as much anymore. Doctors have gone to jail, overprescribing. And once you have a Vicodin, five days in a row, you need that Vicodin. And that's like the weakest of all that bullshit. You need a Vicodin the sixth day, or else you're going to feel, ornery. or, two. Yeah. And, and you can get through it. But if you, but if you instead of quitting, you double the dose. I don't know how your son. If you want to talk about it, go ahead. yeah,
0: exactly, exactly that overprescribed stuff. He got, he was in a car accident, hurt his shoulder. He got oh. prescribed stuff, got addicted to that stuff. And then they cut the, uh, the prescription off completely. And so he started using street drugs and then one thing, but, uh, and all the, almost all the vets, the younger vets, the guys in their thirties and up to 40 that I, uh, perform for. So it's very similar. Injured in, you in uh, know, uh, uh, in the military somehow were prescribed, uh, you know, Oxycontin or whatever they've got prescribed and got addicted to it there. And eventually the prescription runs out. And so they start, well, street drugs are just as good as killing the pain. And then all of a sudden they're hooked on that. And it's a, it's an epidemic though. And, and but I thought it was getting better, but you mentioned the pandemic is making it
2: worse. And that's, that's, that makes me very sad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the yeah. Sackler family still has not been brought to justice. Right, right. You know, And if you haven't seen the Hulu show, Dopesick, like a miniseries, check it out. Michael Keaton right. at his best.
0: Right. Uh, to lighten things up before I let you go, because we're up to an hour, I just want to <laughs> leave on a, a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, how did you get Dustin Hoffman
2: to post for your book? Oh, that's so sweet. (laughs) I do mention him in my book. Uh, But but Thank you. You have
0: to have heard that before, that the young you looks a lot like Dustin Hoffman when he was that
2: age, (laughs) though. It's so much better than uh, when I was younger. It was Howdy Doody. So I guess (laughs) I'll tell you how Dustin Hoffman is in my book. This is a point when I was growing up about 16, my friend uh, e- Elliot, Elliot, Elliot Fisher, who was my counselor at camp. So I believed anything and did anything he said. He said, Come on, you're old enough. We're taking a ride. And we took a ride downtown, Philadelphia, the C- C- center city, city hall. And he said, and what he would do is he would drive around in circles and wait for a really nice car with an old driver to be behind us he would slam on his brakes and they would smash into us. We roll out of the car and start yelling, you know, the, 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 the line from the graduate when, when Dustin Hoffman doesn't know, you know, the movie, the graduate, he's yeah. by the pool. He's not sure what he's going to do. And his uncle comes over and he says, "Plastics." I got one word for you. Benji. <laughs> plastics. <laughs> well, in my neighborhood, it was like, I got one word for you. Whiplash. <laughs> we sued the shit out of the, you know, we made money. It was, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, and, uh, Dustin Hoffman, what a beautiful career he's had. And, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, I
0: bring that line up all the time because I think plastics have killed the planet, but that's a whole other program for a whole other day. Is it plastic and, and how naive we were in the 60s to think that that was the future of, uh, yeah. that was going to
2: save for us. 50 years ago was the first Earth Day. 50 years ago, the hippies knew we were poisoning the planet. And you poison the rivers, and you're going to get leukemia in your blood because we are an extension of Mother Earth. Right. So all that toxicity has come back with cancer and other, other ailments. Wow. You know, we can't be healthy. It's like there's a new book coming out by Dr. Gabor Mate about being normal in an abnormal world, and which is not normal. Right. You know, so you can't expect to walk along a planet or swim in oceans that are completely polluted and not mankind to be polluted. But luckily, the billionaires can fly to Mars <laughs> any day now. How ironic is that, that it's the billionaires? It's like the future is here. This is like science fiction. You know, I was thinking of the scene today from the movie Network. Where, what's his name, is at the head of the wow. board, you know, the meeting. Says, yeah, I can't think There of are idea. no more Canadas. There are more, no more Frances. There is AT&T. There is General Electric. There is Boeing. There is Pfizer. There is Johnson Johnson. And there is Elon Musk. And there is Jeff Bezos. Right. And We all work for them. So go home. Order my book on Amazon. Give Jeff a couple bucks or a couple pennies. Give me $5. <laughs> It's only four twenty for the download. It's nineteen ninety five for the paperback. And trust me, there's a lot of pages. A lot of pages. Yeah. It's wow. Easy, it's easy reading. I don't use a lot of big words. Cool. Okay. Well, I,
0: I wish you a lot of success with the book, and I hope some people you, will Matt. pick it up I, and, and, and read it.
2: My condolences for for you. I appreciate your that. I
0: didn't bring I didn't bring it up for that reason. I think it's it's important for uh, to discuss sometime because I do think. Um, because my son had been in treatment three or four times, three times I think, three times, uh, yeah. and always we always thought it worked, and, and he seemed to be on the road to recovery every single time, but somehow always fell back into it. Um, but yeah. that's a, that's a story yeah. for my yeah. memoir. I guess brain
2: chemistry is is an incredible thing, and yeah. the rewiring, it's like you know you don't you don't ha- you don't it, you you lose your ability to choose. Right, you for what you need. Anyway, I'm sorry. I appreciate
0: uh, that, and I appreciate you being here. And I do wish you great success with the book. And listen, anytime you want, want to come back, you're welcome to come back. Whether you have another book out or you just want to uh, talk about things uh, from from the old days, the '60s and '70s, with, well, and and you know, uh, entertain me with some of your stories. I do, a film,
2: I do a film festival every year in New York, in the Village, called the Real Recovery Film Festival and Symposium. We had to put it online the last two years. But if theaters are wide open, meaning no mask mandates, we'll be back in November. We'll come back on the show and promote it then. I will be happy to. Thank you.
0: All right. Uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye Have for a now. Good night. Good night. You, you too. Thanks for coming, Lenny Bachel. Uh, folks, um, very very cool stuff. Dan, great stories and great sense of humor, and I appreciate all of that. I hope. Um, You found this program useful. I'd love to hear your questions and comments. Info at minddogtv.com. Info at minddogtv.com. I have more uh, coffee with the dog in the morning, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. I hope you join me for that. And then I don't, I've canceled my one o'clock show completely so I can write my book and finish writing that book called uh, Talking to Strangers. Um, Still, uh, it's a work in progress, but I needed to. Uh, And the 1 o'clock shows. I will be uh, with you 8 p.m. tomorrow, but that's it for now. Uh, So I hope you have a great rest of your night. Thanks for coming, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in the morning. Bye for now.